to the Aster Economic Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Aster Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and partner, Rob Stein. Rob, hello. Hey, John. How are you? Today, we are recording on Friday, July 8th, a very late jobs day. And we're going to give you the rundown of the jobs number in a sec. But first, Rob, we haven't talked on the podcast in a while. What's your sort of nutshell take on the economy? 20 words or less, where's the U.S. economy? 20 words or less, you're putting me on the That's spot. That's five words right there. That's five words right there. There, there we go. The economy is bifurcated. You have strong employment, high inflation. Some of the PMI numbers are a little weaker. Actually, you have some things that are below trend except for employment. And I think that inflation is going to be the big issue still for quarters to come. Yep. I guess I would agree with that. We do hear a lot of recession talk. Nick and I focused on the sort of the recession talk that we're hearing last time. And I guess I don't see it yet. I mean, if you can see slowdown, but I don't see recession yet. And we'll, we'll, I guess we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I want to add real, real yeah. quick while we're talking about that for a second. So there's a big hang up on the word, the term, if, you, if this was video, recession, air quotes. Yep. Uh, but reality is, Stock market's not having a really good year. And the way we look at economic data, we've reduced our exposure to equities over the course of the year, recession or not. Yep. We did what we needed to do in a market like this. The market did what it typically does during recessions, down 20 plus percent, and inflation and, and a lot of the other numbers. Do we need to call it anything? But for employment, mm-hmm. you sort of have a lot of last three, four, five, six months behavior like a recession. I think that's a really interesting point, especially to listeners who might be clients of ours. And like, so here we are saying, I've been saying we see a slowdown, but we don't see a recession. At the same time, the astroeconomic index has come down a lot. And I think that might sound like there's a disconnect there, but the way that works out is that the astroeconomic index has sort of more forward-looking data in it by necessity, right? So you don't want to... The NVR calls recessions 18 months after they're over, right? That's not helpful, yeah. <laughs> right? That's not, that's fine for the Poindexter's back in the lab, but like, that's a little bit late for us. So we try to have more forward-looking data in there. And so that's, I think that's been super helpful for us this year to have been reducing exposure all year. But at the yeah, same time- Yeah, I mean, it's very possible when the NVR says we've had a recession that we're already back fully exposed to equities. <laughs> Uh, that almost always happens, right? That almost always yeah. happens. It takes them 18 months after the recession because of the way they define it. Because I got a bunch of guys in a room talking about it and they're all like tenured professors and it's hard to get them to stop sailing and, and come talk about it. <laughs> so today though is the jobs day. And I'm going to run through some of the numbers real quick. All right, you know, it's a super solid number. Change in non-farm payrolls plus 372,000 down a hair from last month. And 100,000 better than expected. Unemployment rate steady at 3.6, extremely low. The labor force participation rate actually dropped a little bit. That's one place you sort of see a little bit of, if you're looking for weakness, the only place you could see it is in the households, some of the household survey stuff. Yeah. So for example, the employment population ratio dropped for the first time in a long time. It's still fairly high. It's still about where it peaked at. It's still about its average for, say, 2019. And the labor force participation rate dropped a little bit. So basically, this, there's, you have a steady unemployment rate in June, but there's a little bit of bad news beneath the surface. Fewer people looking, fewer people looking for work and fewer people working. And so the 
unemployment rate stays steady. There is a little bit of deceleration, so still growing, but decelerating. So job growth averaged 525,000 jobs a month over the last 12 months, but 450,000 over the last six months, 375,000 over the last three months. So going from extremely high levels of job growth to still quite high levels of job growth, but somewhat below where they were. So one thing that's a little interesting is that the private sector payroll has fully recovered to all the jobs lost in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government sector is still down 664,000 below February, 2022, which is kind of, so I think that, that's an interesting point. I mean, it's down again this month Yep. and you usually see the opposite of that happening. If you're going into a recession, government starts to be the only employer for a while. Yeah. I mean, I think you actually see a direct connection between the high inflation and the lower government employment right now, because if you're running a school, you need a bus driver, but you can't just raise the salary. You pay the bus driver, right? Like you have to get the city has to sign off on it and you have to like, or raise bonds or raise taxes or whatever. But like, you know, if we at Aster, if we needed a bus driver for some reason, like, and we weren't getting one, we'd raise the salary until we got one, but you can't do that at a school. So I do. And I think, I know that they're having problems with teachers, with substitutes, with bus drivers, a lot of like education in particular, they're having a hard time because in part, because like the salary has to lag inflation so much. So that's the employment number, like a really good, really good number overall. If the Fed's looking for a soft landing, we've started descending, but we're nowhere near the ground, right? Like, is that, is that like a reasonable thing to say? Yeah, right. We've fallen three flights, not all the way to the floor. <laughs> I mean, but John, you would have to agree that it's employment. That's the thing. Employment is the thing that's going right, but also employment. We always say employment is the thing, right? Like people are getting jobs. Like, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like our economic index in and of itself is highly, highly weighted to employment data. We have kind of always said more people work and making more stuff is generally good for the overall economy. You know, just that too simple way of looking at it. So, yes, that's my point is all the other numbers, good, bad or indifferent employment kind of trumps them when it's growing above trend. Yeah. Sort of linger on the recession stuff for just a moment. So how could the Fed slow down the economy? Right. Well, it's going to slow down the economy by raising rates which makes two sectors slow down, cars and to a lesser extent cars, but to a much bigger extent housing and housing related stuff, right? And so we have seen mortgage rates up to 6%. They've came off a little bit last week, you know, and so that doesn't only mean the house, obviously that means the mover and the new stove and the painters and whatever, all that other stuff that comes along with changing houses. So I think that is totally plausible to say that's feeding in the economy already, but not to an extent that we're seeing a huge sort of global slowdown yet. So what do you think? They have to raise rates even more, or they're going to have to come up with other solutions, other ways beyond just raising rates? Okay, so no, they're going to raise rates, but I guess I see the Fed's real thing being like, okay, inflation is too high. We have to get inflation down. But inflation is too high because of gas prices, and we can't really do anything about that. But we still have to be seen to act, right? We have to be seen to be like, okay, this is like bad news. So the Fed is going to keep raising rates, 
and eventually gas prices will reverse and they'll be like, yeah, we did it. And we high fives all around in the Eccles building. Well, yeah, because uh, energy prices are a big component uh, as are housing prices and they're not both solvable by raising rates. So if you can control supply, you know, demand is what the Fed's basically trying to control, right? Raising rates, try to have demand dissipate. But the supply part of it is the more challenging part for government intervention. What can you do with that? Certain regulations you can change, of course. But we have an inflation situation because of both supply and demand, kind of unusual. Usually it's one or the other cost push. And I think that's the big challenge we have here. How do we increase supply as well as dampen demand to get inflation and prices back down? Yeah, that's not the Fed's job, right? They don't have any tools that can do that. They got what they got, right? They can raise rates. In a pinch, they can buy a bunch of bonds. And like, that's it. So, and that's why I think that they won't be raising 75 basis points at a clip for the rest of the year, trying to make a recession. Because that's the only way to throw the economy in a recession and people stop driving as much. And, but, you know, the thing is, is like actually gas demand is below its average of 2018, 2019, of the, like the 2015 to 2019 average. Like forget about 2020. But like gas demand in terms of volumes is not especially high. And I don't think anybody thinks that the reason gas prices are expensive in America is because Americans are just driving around in circles all the time, right? Like we're driving less than we were a few years ago. Gas demand is high because we shut off the, we said people can't buy the Russian oil. Right. And also people are consuming other electricity, other forms of energy. So yeah, you're right. I think, when I think overall, like the overall energy prices are high, not because of U.S. demand, right? Because of that's a world, that's a price that's set in the world market. And that's just life. And so there's a limit to what the Fed can do. And I do see signs of concern in people in sort of outside observers being like, these guys aren't going to throw some recession because gas prices are high, are they? And I hope not. But like, let's take a step back and like, okay, rates aren't even at neutral yet, right? Like, let's get the rates to neutral. Let's get the rates to be 50 points above neutral, something like that. So say, get the rates to 3% and then we can start talking. But like rates certainly should not be stimulative right now, right? Like unambiguously rates should be stimulative. And so you get them neutral and then we can start talking about changes. But the Fed funds futures already thinks that the Fed is cutting next year. Like the Fed- That's interesting, right? Because I agree, let's get to neutral before we make any other decisions. I think neutral might be a little bit higher than what the average consensus is. But cutting all next year is sort of saying it works. They do engineer a recession, and they're going to have to start solving for that sometime in 2023. Yeah, that's a consensus call right now, right? That's what the Fed Fund Futures are saying. That's what people, some actual economist people, to the extent economists or people, are saying is that you know recession- now-ish, and then have to cut next year. But, you know, we will see, like, Powell thinks that he's going to be able to engineer, like I said, engineer a soft landing. Whatever that means, because many people who buy stocks already think it's not a soft landing. And if you have a portfolio of stocks and bonds, you also don't think it's soft landing. Yeah. Well, that's actually part of tightening, right? Like, that's part yeah. of it, is that stock prices go down or the multiple goes down. I mean, Stocks are doing okay. You know, they're still up 10% a year over the last 10 years or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, nobody's going to, uh, no, nobody's arguing. I do want to mention 
a couple of things. First of all, where we do see signs of weakness, and we sort of hinted at this when we said the astroeconomic index is a little bit forward-looking, we do see some signs of weakness in some survey-based numbers. So if you look at the ISM, the Institute for Supply Management, Purchasing Manager Index, that's a diffusion index. So a number above 50 means more people say growing. Number below 50 means more people say weaker. Those numbers have been lower, right? So the manufacturing number, the services number, there's actually two different PMI surveys that we follow, one from ISM, one from market, IHS market. Mm-hmm. And those are all back to kind of low-ish levels, like not like recession levels, but- well, look where they went to. Yeah, so like- In the 60s. Right, so well, manufacturing right now is 53, when it had been, you know, which is the lowest since a couple of years ago. In a expansion, you see that typically being more like 55 or something like that. 53 still means expanding, but at a lesser rate. Services now- are 52. It's a little bit on the lower side than you normally see that number. So the same thing on the IHS market numbers are on the lower 20th percentile, the lower lower fifth of their typical ranges. And so those are sort of soft numbers, but we do put weight on them in what we do for a couple of reasons. One, because they are forward-looking, and two, because they're not revised. So it's just easier. They're just easier numbers to work with. So Those have been flashing caution for a while and continue to to do so. And then we touched on the Fed. The Fed meets again, I think the 28th at the end of this month, and then they're off until September. So you do have one more CPI number before then that comes out next Wednesday. Rob, what do you think the Fed's going to do? 50, 25, 75? 75 is definitely on the table. Oh, yeah. I think the CPI number is going to be irrelevant to what they're going to do. And I can't see that number suddenly having them change their mind so much. Economic event seems unlikely between now and then. It's too close for them to change their mind. I think it's 50 with a chance of being 75 because I think they're going to need to do something drastic. If you look back at what Volcker did in the 80s, he's surprised on some of these rate hikes, the consistency and the size of them more than the market would have thought back then. And I I was a rookie and just sort of figuring out what that all meant. And so it wouldn't surprise me if Powell does something like that, a good shocker, even more so, certainly consistent. So I'm going to say 50 is sort of in the bag, and I'll give you my opinion more if it's 75, probably towards the end of next week. But I think there's a chance of it, a a better chance than what most people are thinking. Yeah, particularly with the equity markets and the fixed income markets, Kind of volatility is this week, at least. It's another up week for stocks. Rates kind of recovered a little bit over the last 10 days. I think he would feel a little bit more comfortable doing that as well, 75 then. Yeah, I guess I kind of want to see the CPI number. So both the core PCE and core CPI were both lower last month than year-over-year changes. We were both lower last month than the month before. So it was still quite high but kind of going in the right direction. I guess if I see them, if they're continuing to go in the right direction, I think the Fed will be comfortable doing 50, but especially- Well, we know where they're going, right? We know where they're going. They're, they're trying to get to neutral and they're far away from it. So if they do 50, 75, even 25, the next six months are still- you know, Yeah, I mean, I think you still got 100 basis points baked in by the end of the year, at least. Then we'll see. I think we'll leave it there. Like we said at the beginning, the economy is still growing, growing at a slower pace. 
And we're still waiting to see if tighter financial conditions are going to bite into the most important part of the economy, the jobs market. And we're still in sort of wait and see mode. And the next exciting thing is Wednesday's CPI number. And we'll have a podcast out after the CPI number also. In the meantime, if you would like more of our economic content, you can go to the Aster website, Aster IM, IM for investment management, AsterIM.com. You can download the Aster Research app, or you can reach out to your Aster sales representative. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Sean. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asteriam.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our app is also available on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you. Aster Investment Management, LLC, is a SEC-registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change. They are not intended as investment recommendations.